Welcome back to the Hidden Jewels podcast. I'm Karna Atkinson, and today we continue my dad's Heaven Now Marriage Seminar with part two, titled The Foundation of Marriage. If you missed part one, make sure you go back and listen to episode 52, where my dad, Rick Larson, talks about the priority of marriage. Let's get to it. I hear their stories and I hear that cheer they say. You know, I uh, make no apologies for being hard on divorce. (laughs) Although I know there's a number of folks here that have been divorced. Um, And I can't lighten up on divorce, but, but Christ is the light of the world. And and in Christ, there's hope, and there's healing, and there's wholeness. And so I know, you know, I know a lot of couples who went through terrible, terrible divorces and then held on to Christ through that process. And, uh, and then years down the road, God brought someone into their life and and put that marriage together, you know? Because there are some marriages. You know, it's very interesting that, uh, do do you know where divorce came from? God? What? It comes out of the Old Testament and it was part of the part of the rabbinical laws that God gave to the nation of Israel. And he gave divorce. And he gave divorce because his people were disconnected from him. And so their marriages were a nightmare. And so he gave instruction. So God was the originator of divorce. Isn't that interesting? And in the Old Testament, there were no options. There were no good options because you had selfish people, godless people, people that were continually walking away from God's design, uh, and their relationships were brutal. They were terrible. And so God authored divorce. Now, in the New Testament, he hates it when it happens. He hates it because it's so brutal and it's so destructive and it hurts so much and it causes so much damage and for generations, it's just, it's so complicated and so hard. Um, you know, yet through the years, it hasn't happened very often, but I've, been, I've helped couples divorce, interestingly enough, because the marriage was so dangerous and so abusive. And usually in those situations, it wasn't two believers. It was a believer and an unbeliever, or two unbelievers. 
So I can't lighten up on divorce in terms of God hates it. Um, but I also would say that, uh, you know, that God is full of grace and full of mercy, and he's totally committed to us, and he wants us to experience life as he designed it. And he wants to bring life into a second marriage. If they're both believers, and very frequently couples maybe come together after going through a divorce, and, and they come to know Christ in the, in the second marriage. So they married as unbelievers. But if God touches the heart of each, then their potential for heaven now is just as high as the two believers who have become one. Does that make sense? Because I know a number of you have, uh, I've walked with some of you guys through some stuff. Um, and God's design, you know, when, when I work with a couple that's divorced, they've been divorced and remarried now, you know, well, this becomes even more important. You know, if you just replicate what you did before, you know, not good. You know, even before you get married again, you, if you're a follower of Christ, you know, find a believer. Find a believer and make sure that they're not just coming to church on Sundays because you think it's a good idea. Make sure their heart is committed to Christ. And God is the God that's full of mercy and grace and forgives. You know, we get fresh starts. We get new beginnings, right? And so because you've been divorced and are now married a second time, that means that, that you're somehow crippled and incapacitated and you can't find that heaven now. No, you can find that heaven now in your marriage. Okay? All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's get into Ephesians 5. Um, first of all, I have to, I have to say that uh, depending upon what your scripture you're using, uh, what version, the NIV, much to my chagrin, uh, they didn't talk with me 20 years ago when they came out with the NIV. And I don't know what all those guys, if you read the list of people, you know, all these scholars that, that were the translators and all of that sort of stuff, I don't know what they were thinking. Obviously, they must have some good reason for it. And I, from an academic perspective or from the knowledge of Greek or what have you, you know, I can't even be in the debate. So, but, but I fully believe that, that verse 5, 521, it may be a transitional verse from what took place before that, but I fully believe that, that the foundation of the marriage relationship begins with Ephesians 5:21. So if you have an NIV Bible, it will give you a subject heading, and it'll start at 5:22. Marriage relationship. Huh? think they're wrong. I think they're wrong. And the subtitles are not anointed. The Word of God is anointed. The paragraphs are not anointed. The numbers are not anointed. I think the marriage relationship begins with 521, which, which says that we are to be, uh, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The old King James 
says that we are to be submissive in the fear of God. Now that means that uh, uh, women, you are to be submissive to your husbands. Now you know that because it says that later on. And depend where you come from, that gets, uh, that gets pounded into women's head. Women, be submissive to your husbands. I have a news flash tonight. <laughs> Men, be submissive to your wives. <laughs> Ladies, you are not the only one that are saddled with that responsibility of submission. We, as men, are responsible to be submissive to our wives. Uh, submission has gotten a bad rap. Um, anybody put it on their resume? <laughs> you know, I have five years of experience in this, and I'm, you know, pay attention to detail, and I'm also very submissive. You know, it's not, no one ever describes themselves as submissive. Because uh, it's, it, you know, our, our definition of submissive is sort of like being a mouse or something. You know, a doormat. You know, if you're submissive, you let people walk all over you. You know, that's what, what our perspective on submission is. And that's just not true. That is not true. Uh, the Greek word is hypotasso. Uh, I throw that in so you think I'm smart. You won't remember that. You don't need to. Uh, hypotasso, and it, and, it, and it basically means, it literally means to arrange your life under. Okay? To arrange your life under. And basically what that means is it means that, that husbands, you are to see your wives as more important than yourself. Okay? Husbands, come down here underneath your wives and make them more important to you than yourself. And wives, hypotasso, arrange your life under your husband. Make your husband more important than yourself. Okay? What happened in the Garden of Eden? When Adam and Eve bit, they chose to be their own gods, right? How, um, how would we describe that? What, uh, give me some words to describe that. What happens then? What happened to Adam and Eve? They became what? Selfish, self-centered, full of pride, relying on themselves. It became all about them. I mean, that's what life became apart from God. It's, it's, the curse is the curse of selfishness. And so now that, that we have been restored to this relationship with God, we no longer are stuck in our selfishness. We now can be selfless. We now can arrange our lives under our spouse. We now can make someone more important than ourselves. 
You know, that's why I said earlier that, that, uh, that the marriage relationship is the place where we work out our faith. It's the first place we work out our faith. You know, are you selfish or are you selfless? Are you God or have you arranged your life under your wife and she's the one that you worship? That's going a little extreme, but, uh, but you put her above yourself. You look up to her. You arrange your life under her so that if something's important to her, guess what? It becomes important to you. That she's the princess. She's the queen. She's the, the focus of your attention. She can do no wrong. You know, you, in your marriage, you get to know her better than anyone else. And if you take that privileged place of knowing her better than anyone else in the world and say, I don't really like being with you. You've just destroyed her. But if you say, Honey, you are the best. I wouldn't trade you for anyone. You are the jewel of my life. I am so thankful God brought us together. You are the best. Then our wives can deal with anything. Feel pretty good. And wives, it's the same thing in terms of your husbands. You know, if you treat them like dirt, if they're an irritant, if in fact you're always going, oh. you know, after a while, the husband's going to start thinking, shouldn't think much of me. Over time, I'll take it. I'd just as soon stay here. Mutual submission. It means we're to be more concerned about how things affect our spouse than how they affect us. It's a humility issue. It's a sacrifice issue. It's a love issue. It's the practical living out of our submission to Christ. That's how. That's how Christ knows we've submitted to him when we submit to our spouses. Does that make sense? That is a huge, huge, powerful, foundational truth. And if you don't get this, you won't get anything. You won't get it. The marriage relationship is built upon foundational mutual submission. You know, when, uh, when Linda and I fell in love, I really thought she was something. One of the reasons I thought she was something was that she thought I was something. 
She thought I was funny. She laughed at my jokes. She still laughs at my jokes. I'm telling a lot of the same ones that she's heard for years, and she still, she still laughs at my jokes. You know, she just, she made me feel valuable. She even liked the way I walked. It's a little known trait that my wife has. She, she can imitate walks. So if you have a funny walk and my wife sees you walking funny, she can come home and do that walk for me. <laughs> she liked the way I walked. Thought I was smooth. So I really had a good time being with her. You know, when we started dating, it was great. I really liked it. It was outstanding. She was perfect. She was everything I wanted. And the best thing of all, she liked me. You know, and I'm not telling you anything that isn't probably true in your relationships as well. It's like, that's how it begins. You know, we're attracted to someone, you know, and, and we spend time with them when we feel good about ourselves when we spend time with them. You know, and we just, it's good. It's like, it makes me feel good. You know, I can't wait to see her again and, uh, you know, have that phone conversation that lasts four hours, you know? <laughs> Guys, we have a hard time talking for four minutes now with our wives. But back then, we could talk for hours, hours. You know, but that initial, that early love is primarily a, primarily a selfish love. Right? You know, we, we end up together because... You know, we really love each other, and we, we love the feeling inside, and we, we love being valued by someone, and, and we love the fact they laugh at us. They think we're funny, and, you know, it's a very selfish kind of love. That's what it is. And if we stay at that level, if that's where we enter the marriage and we just kind of remain there, well, it doesn't take long before... She doesn't think we're so hot after all. You know, if we just stay at that level, it's like we're destined for problems. With the marriage relationship, when we move into that place of the marriage relationship, you know what we, what we say in the vows? We say, I'm in this for good for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, whether you like me at the moment or not, whether you're doing what I want you to do or not, whether you're pleasing me or not. You know, our love has to move from that elemental level into a covenant level which has to do with a 
no matter what promise. That's what it means to submit. I am going to put my wife ahead of me in everything. I'm going to serve her. I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to love her. I'm going to be there for her. I'm going to listen to her. I'm going to affirm her. I am going to range my life under her life. Her life becomes more important to me than my life. I'm willing to die for her. And that might not be, you know, I push her out of the way and I get hit by the bus. You know, that's probably not going to happen. But I'm going to have to die to myself over and over and over again. And once again, God's design is perfect and beautiful because he's not simply committed to my happiness. He's committed to my holiness. And if I'm being the husband he wants me to be and my wife needs me to be, it will change my character and my nature so that I can form more and more to the image of Christ because selfishness and self-centeredness won't be able to live within that commitment. Does that make sense? Now, I got to tell you, it's hard. <laughs> uh, it's not easy. You know where the scripture says we're to reckon our old nature's dead? Huh? Because the old nature, the nature out of the fall, the nature we're born with, the nature we've, we've come naturally by, uh, is a sinful, selfish, self-centered nature. I mean, that's the old nature. And the scripture says we are to reckon it dead. Uh, the word reckon means not that it's dead, the word reckon means that we are to treat it as if it's dead. So you don't nourish that old nature, that selfish nature, that self-centered nature. You don't feed that. When that rears its ugly head, you go, ooh, that's not the priority. So that God has, with incredible genius, has put us together as husband and wife. Not simply just so that we'll be happy together. I mean, that's important to him. I mean, he wants us to experience some heaven now. But that our character might be shaped in the image of Christ, who ultimately was the least self-centered of anyone ever. You know, he died for us. Mutual submission.
it's the place where our love needs to mature so that it's a selfless love for our spouses. It's a whole new level. You know, we need to be willing to say, I will live the rest of my life with this person no matter what, for better, for worse. When they're treating me good, when they're treating me bad, when they're having a hard time and they don't even have time for me, or when I hardly have time for them, I'm going to make time for them because that's my commitment. That's my responsibility. That's my privilege. And it's in that perspective that the nature of Christ is visible in us. You know, uh, through the years, marriage counseling, it's very interesting. And uh, I won't be talking about any of you specifically, but I've talked to a lot of you during the course of the last five years. Um, some, of you, some of you guys have uh, done premarital with me, so a lot of this is repetitious for you, but hopefully it's something I think we need to hear over and over again because we lose it, because the old selfishness creeps in and we, we lose our perspective. Um, and some of you have come to me in the midst of struggle where you're really hurting and that sort of stuff. And it's very interesting to me. It's always the same. Always the same. You know, the names are different. The circumstances are different. The dates are different. If you've been in my office, I have a love seat. And I always make the couple sit in a love seat. <laughs> You know, and they sit on either end. It's amazing that they can get that much room on the love seat <laughs> between them. You know, hanging on the other side. It's always the same. Well, tell me what's going on, guys. You know, what's the problem? And the guy will say, well, my wife... And after he finishes, I go, and she goes, well, my husband. It's just, it's amazing. Because from the husband's perspective, the problem is always the wife. And from the wife's perspective, it's always the husband. You know, if, if he would only whatever, everything could be fine. I have yet, I have yet, have a couple sit, sit there before me and say, well, it's my fault. Never. It's never happened. It's never happened. Matter of fact, after they do their, you know, you know, then what happens is they get sort of the rebuttal. Oh, yeah, no, that's not true. That didn't happen that way. Let me tell you the way that happened, and we get it from my perspective, and she's wrong again. You know, she didn't even have the right... It's, it's amazing. I mean, it's just... It's amazing. You know, we don't assume any responsibility. Now, people will verbalize that and say, well, you know, I know we're both to blame, but mostly her. Mostly her. <laughs> You know, they really don't assume any responsibility. You know, the marriage would be so much better if she just got it straightened out here. Uh, 
it's always the same. It's just, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Because the standard that, that God's looking for is the issue of submission. That's the standard. Are you arranging your life under the life of your spouse? Whether they're arranging their life under you or not. I mean, that's the question. That's the question. It's interesting to me because through the years, um, I've seen, I've seen uh, relationships come back together when only one person would choose hypotasso, would choose to be submissive, to arrange their life under the other one. One party in the marriage would, would say, you know, before Christ and with his help, I am going to do everything I can do so that my wife knows I'm committed to her, I love her, I am with her for the long haul. I'm going to do everything I can do. Lord, help me. You know, most of the time we say it takes two to tango, right? And it takes two to do a marriage right. And that's not true. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I think it takes one. I had a gal come to me. This goes back a bunch of years, 20 or more years, over in Arnold. Uh, she, she, she had two little kids, three and five, and, uh, and they were very faithful in church, etc. Her husband, I don't know that I had ever met her husband. Um, he didn't come to church. Um, and she made an appointment with me, and she came in one afternoon, and... Uh, and she began to tell me about her life and tell me about her husband. And she said that her husband, uh, he was a contractor, and, uh, and he had a drinking problem. That he would, he would never come home after work. Uh, he'd come home, it'd be late at night, it'd be 10, 11, 12 o'clock when he'd come home. Uh, he'd be drunk. You know, after the job, he'd go off with the guys and he'd, you know, down a whole lot of something. And when he would come home, he'd be, he'd be just out of his mind. And, uh, and frequently, she said, he would throw up in the kitchen sink and then he would go for the couch and fall asleep, he'd pass out. So she said, you know, every morning for the last five years, you know, the first thing I do when I get up, I go down and look in the kitchen sink to see if that's how I'm going to start my day, cleaning the kitchen sink. And she said he's not there for my kids. You know, they don't even know him. And she said, I can't do it anymore. I can't do that anymore. She said, I don't think God wants me to live this way. And I'm not going to put my children through this any longer. I'm ready to get a divorce. And she came and asked for my blessing. That's what she wanted. Can I get a divorce? 
you know? She kind of wanted me to put the pastor's blessing. I don't blame you. That sounds awful. And I couldn't do it. You know, I wanted to. I mean, I wanted to tell her, I don't blame you. You know, and, and if it was me, you know, I might have taken off too. I don't know. You know, I don't know that I'd have that much courage, that much strength, that much stamina, that much conviction, that much confidence in Christ to be obedient to that degree. But I couldn't, I couldn't say, go for it. Nobody needs to live their life that way. So instead, I talked to her about things that she could do, things that had to do with hypotasso, arranging your life under him, and some things that you could do uh, that would be consistent with, with that instruction. You know, I, I encourage you to start making sure that, that when he got up in the morning that, that she'd be around. You know, she was so sick of him, she didn't even want to see him in the mornings. And, you know, I, I encouraged her to start asking him questions, to start involving him in the life of the kids, uh, seek direction, and, and uh, you know, try to pick his brain, bring a problem to him, and ask him what he thinks you ought to do, etc. And I, I gave her a bunch of those kinds of things to, to do. And... You know, I ultimately prayed with her. I don't think she closed her eyes. She was so mad. And she left. And I didn't see her again. She didn't come to church. She wasn't there with the kids. They didn't show up any longer. Uh, I called. You know, I left messages. She never called back. You know, she had, she had, it had taken her so long to get to that point where she was ready to you know, to get the lawyer, and then the courage to do that, and then I didn't give her support. And so she, she was whipped and ripped. So I thought, well, I don't know what to do. It was probably over a year later when she came back. She showed up on my appointment book. I said, is that? Oh, yeah. And she came in and sat down, and she proceeded to tell me how angry I made her and how heartsick she was and hopeless she was when she left and that I had just, you know, about destroyed her. And she said, I, I didn't go to a lawyer. And I just, I just tried to endure. Not liking you the whole time. <laughs> but then she said, after about six months, she said, I started thinking about what you said. And I started trying to do that 
I started to try to prioritize him, even though that was ludicrous. It didn't make any sense. But I tried to do that. I tried to involve him in decisions around the kids. You know, I started to ask him questions and seek direction from him. And, and she said, you know, for several months, nothing changed. He never gave me any direction. He never answered my question. He never even gave any indication that the kids were important to him. And then one night, he came home after work. And I had asked him a question that morning about the kids, and he had thought about it all day. And he came home to give me the answer. And then the next few weeks, he came home several more times. Came home sober. She said to me, and now, Rick, it's been three months, and he hasn't had a drink. And we are talking, and he's present with the kids. And the last three months have been the best three months of our marriage. You know, their kids are grown now. Their kids are off on their own and doing well. Um, they're still husband and wife. And it wasn't his fault. It was hers. That, that the marriage was restored. It wasn't his fault, it was hers. Because she did what God wanted her to do. Whether her husband was willing to participate, agree, be present, no. Which is why I say it only takes one. You know, if, if one of us in the marriage relationship will be what God wants us to be in that relationship, it has the potential of having huge influence on the other person. It's not foolproof. There's no guarantees. You know, I know some of you have unbelievable circumstances. There's no guarantee. But this relationship, this relationship will grow deeper and richer and more powerful and more sacred and more precious when we're being in this relationship in obedience to him. It's the maximum place of potential for impacting that spouse that's not present. And 
you know, ultimately we're accountable before God. You know, tomorrow morning I'll begin with talking about in the fear of God, out of reverence for Christ, which is a huge part of this equation. And so if this doesn't work, I fully believe that God sustains us and holds us and affirms us. And if it's not coming from our spouse, it will come from God as we do that which he would want us to do, whether it impacts our spouse or not. But I'll tell you, any other alternative won't work. It won't work. You know, when we take what God has given us and that's what we apply and that's what we do. And if we do it not simply for results, but we do it simply out of obedience, out of submission, submission for Christ, we arrange our life under him. And then we arrange our life under our spouse. It has the maximum potential for life in heaven now. You know, that's the problematic relationship. You know, most of us don't have relationships that are that extreme, you know. Um, and, and in the good marriage, you know, the more, the more submissive we are, the more we prioritize each other, the more we lift each other up, the more sensitive we are to each other, the more we listen to each other, the more we affirm each other. You know, the more we give ourselves away to our spouse, the more joy we experience, the more peace we have, the more blessing is ours. Because we're in that place of obedience. I'll go back to what I said earlier, you know, with the divorce rate in the church. This is the first place we work out our faith. And if we're not doing it there, if we're not doing it at home, if we're not doing it with that, that spouse that, that we committed ourselves to before God, no matter what, you know, if we're not doing it there, then we're not doing it here either. You know, I don't think we can have a healthy relationship with Christ if, in fact, we're not in that place of submission to him. And out of that submission, we are prioritizing our spouse. Submission says, I'll work at making you happy, even when you're not making me happy. Selfishness says you're not doing a very good job. You know, you need to work harder at it. I'm not too happy about it. The only job we're accountable for is our behavior, our attitudes, our actions, our submission. 
as much as it is my responsibility, I am going to do everything I can conceivably do. And that's what God asks of me. And that's what God asks of you. greatest gift we give our spouses is to arrange our lives under them. It's the greatest gift we give them. And in an interesting sort of way, that's what Jesus did. You know, he arranged his life under us. Does that make sense? I mean, he gave up his life so that we could live. You know, he died so that we could have life. And so he's really the model. He sacrificed his life for me, for you, for you, for you. And that's what we're doing in the marriage relationship. It isn't all about me. You know, my wife doesn't have to make me happy for me to treat her as God wants me to treat her. And I probably should flip that around because I fail miserably. Uh, my wife would not say that, but I know, and she misses very infrequently because um, she makes me a better husband than I'd ever be without her. Mutual submission. And in the morning, we will, we will talk about the fear of God because it's a huge part of this. Okay? Are you all right? Is anybody mad at me? Anybody saying, I don't want to come back. Uh, it's too much for me. I don't like this. Anybody out there going, well, he doesn't know my relationship. He doesn't know my wife, my husband. We can say that. I'll tell you, it's huge, guys. It's huge. When we get this right and this relationship right, and I don't care how good you say your marriage is or how long you've been married, you can, it can be better. It can even be better. So let me pray, and then we'll kick you out of here. Uh, tomorrow we're back at uh, 9.30. Some of you thought it was 8.30. We'll be back at 9.30, and we'll do two sessions in the morning, and then we'll have lunch together. Um, and we'll, you know, it's going to be box lunches, and we'll, we'll get our lunches, and we'll come back to our seats if, if you want to. Um, if you want to go outside or whatever, you certainly can do it. Um, but we'll do a Q&A during lunch that if you have questions, if I've generated some questions, uh, opportunity to, you know, we'll kind of talk during lunch. If you don't mind watching me talk with my mouth full. Um, <laughs> We'll do that, and we'll do some Q&A, some questions and answers. You guys can have questions, and, uh, and we'll, we'll do that together, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll have two more sessions in the afternoon, okay? Painful? 
Complicated? True? True. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. And it's the truth that sets us free. Free to enjoy, free to laugh, free to serve, free to sacrifice, free to affirm and bless, free to grow in our relationship with you, Lord, and in our relationship with our spouse. Lord, I just pray that uh, we've just begun tonight and, and the circle needs to be complete and we've just started off on the circle. I pray that you will complete it in us tomorrow. And Lord, we will, we will have a perspective when we are done uh, that is uh, anointed, is truth from you. And Lord, it will have huge ramifications in how we live out our lives and how we care for our spouses and how we conform our lives, our attitudes, our actions to the image of Christ. Lord, if there are couples here tonight that uh, that are really having a hard time, Lord, I pray that you will put the seed of hope. And that's not that's not earthly hope. Hope in our culture is wishful thinking, but biblical hope is is a confidence. Lord, I pray that you will plant that seed of confidence that between you and them, Lord, you will. You'll give them a taste of heaven. That their marriage can be everything you want it to be and everything they need it to be. And Lord, for our couples that have been married a long time, I don't know any, any couple that uh, can't improve, can't treasure each other more fully and more completely than ever. So Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit would be very much at work in us now, even throughout the night, what we think about, what we talk about on the way home in the car. And then, Lord, what we hear and what we receive and what you teach us tomorrow. Lord, that our marriages would never, ever be the same. So thank you, Lord. I pray for every couple here, Lord, that their marriage will be what you want it to be. And I pray for there's a number of folks here that are here without their spouses, and there's a number of folks here that, uh, that are not married. Lord, I pray that uh, you will strengthen their relationship with you and their understanding. And Lord, if it be your design, uh, that you would, you would use this in preparation 
for a relationship that would honor you and be a source of blessing to them. The stakes are high, Lord. If we don't get this right, we don't get life right. Help us get it right and give us the strength and the capacity and the conviction to live it out. For our marriage sake, for our relationship with you, Lord, and for our testimony to the world, might they see the joy of a marriage anointed and ordained and lived out in obedience to you. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. My friends, I hope this has been helpful to you today. Please share it with your friends, family, and spouse. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss a thing. And again, if you're struggling in your marriage, please reach out to me. I'm a certified life and marriage coach, and it's my joy to journey with you. Check out the show notes for ways to connect with me. Part three of the seminar is about the source of a successful marriage. You won't want to miss it. Until next time... You are a precious jewel in the eyes of Jesus. Your story matters. Let the world see you so they may see him.